Oh, I feel great. Such a great weekend, but there's a tinge of sadness, and I'll tell you why. Today, final time this regular season, the Toronto Maple Leafs play the Edmonton Oilers. And that's a sad day because they go into this thing now 6-2 and two against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, including four in a row. Those four fans in Alberta, uh, they have struggled. I like how you had to take a away. second with that. Well, I was like, do I call it northern Alberta? It's like north of Calgary, right? But it's not northern Alberta. Thank You're you, Mr. Professor. West. Tell me, tell me no. where it is. Yeah, it's in Alberta. Just uh, Mid-Alberta? Yeah, no, that's what they like to be. Well, that's Alberta why I just actually. said Alberta. That's why I just There's... said Alberta. I love how you have this criticism of me, but you have no response to it. I did. That is my response, is that it, you took a second. You took a beat. The fans in, what's that province, what's that province, make up a lie about how you tried to pinpoint what part of Alberta it's in and move forward. Alberta. Yeah. Ontario. Toronto Maple Leafs. There's some One fans of the teams in Ontario. In on, Ontario. Yeah. I, I could not be less afraid of the Oilers. Like, you could tell me that the Leafs are playing the Canucks in round one, and I would be more fearful of the Canucks than I am of the Oilers. To me, it's just very clear. They're a crappier version of what the Leafs are. Yes. Yeah. Top-heavy team. Mm-hmm. D, not as good. Qu- questionable goaltending, although Mike Smith oh, was awesome. He was great. Yeah. He was so, 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 so good. And then, yeah, not a lot of depth in the forward ranks. Um, and they are still getting over what I think the Maple Leafs have largely gotten over, protecting leads, protecting a two-goal lead into the third period. Yeah, that's the team that I, I'm most afraid of the Winnipeg Jets, naturally. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this because Connor Hellebuck still lives and breathes. Still got to be kind of afraid of the Montreal Canadiens, especially now that they're mm-hmm. adding Eric Stahl. And they've got the, the, the same old guy juju that the Leafs hope they have going for them. And Carey Price can turn back the clock at any point. Give me the Oilers. Give me them all day, every day. Mm-hmm. I, want, I, want, I want the Oilers for two series. The uh, Habs fans don't do the Jared Sollinger test and ask Sabres fans what they think right. of Eric Stahl. <laughs> the reviews are not very good for this season. Boy, the Sabres. The Sabres' hot streak of betting against the Sabres lives. By the way, they're, I think they're just... I think Philly tonight is less than minus 200 to beat the Sabres, which still feels like free money. Eventually, that party's going to end, but I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at that party until it does. I'm not going to so, leave early. I'm loving this party. I'm having fun at this party. I'm not leaving early. It, you're right. It's hockey, and eventually yeah. even the worst the Sabres team will win. wins... But they've had real players. Now they're going to start getting rid of their players, and mm-hmm. they're going to win a game which they haven't been able to do in 17 games. Mm-hmm. You're right. The smart money would be on them winning one of these games. I couldn't yeah. do it. You be the guy to do that then. What's go the ahead. shot? You keep losing, and then you bet them the one time they win. You go, yay, I did yeah. it. Yay. <laughs> Savers. One in 23, baby. We did it. We've jumped on it. Yeah, you got to lose a lot to gain a little. To me, we're going to talk with Justin Bourne during our full Leafs hour in a bit. So I'll be brief with the Leafs because we have the final Blue Jays roster, at least the version of the final Blue Jays roster before sort we of. get to, yeah. yeah. We don't know we, who's starting on the weekend, but yeah. Yeah, well, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm we don't sure. have the second starter yeah. other than yeah. that, though. You know, <laughs> everything else is falling yeah. into place. What are you talking right. about? So other than that, we've got everything lined up. And also Norm Powell returned. From that Oilers game, yes, I agree. I think the Leafs match up very well against them. They're just a better version of them. And the Oilers don't push them physically or play a style that I think Toronto is uncomfortable with, right? They play a style that Toronto says, this is great. We're having a blast. We're going to have a really fun time, and we're never going to feel as though we are in danger. And I certainly don't feel that as a fan watching them. Matthew's wrist looked better than it has in a while. He's been shooting it more. He's been looking more like the regular Austin Matthews. So I was very encouraged by that because the big fear, the doomsday scenario, is the one that's been going around for a while, partially because of me. But other people have said it too. 
No, other people it's have been said going it around. Too. These people have been saying, whoever it is, yeah. I don't know, just in dark alleys somewhere is pushing this idea that Austin Matthews has a more serious injury than they're letting on. And that I'm not this pushing the idea. I'm saying that there was potential for it. Why else, sure. why else would you not rest him if it was just a rest thing? These yeah. regular season games are largely meaningless. Outside of the style points and outside of just the effort level and the team toughness, the things that they went into the year looking to address – the standings, as long as you're in the playoffs, that's what matters. I, I, do you think there's going to be fans in the stands in Canada come playoff time for the Leafs? I don't, and I, right. I, that's not to say that I don't think there should. I just, I don't. Right, exactly. So, to me, home ice is mm, less, re- less relevant, let's just say, almost negligible. So, if it means resting Austin Matthews gets him healthier sooner, then obviously you rest him. They're not. So, you're scared because he didn't look like he could have any, he didn't look like he had any zip on it. Last game, he did. The other two things are, one, I don't think Jack Campbell can steal the net from Freddie Anderson the way that people keep saying that he can, which is just by winning hockey games. He has to be spectacular and be winning hockey games. It has to be the combination of the both. He let in three goals on something like, I want to say, 15 shots at one point in that game. Oh, yeah. And we're doing the same thing where fans all of a sudden of Jack Campbell who just hate Freddie Anderson are doing the exact same routine that Freddie Anderson defenders were doing, which is, well, that's a cross-ice pass to Leon Dreisaitl, and he's ripping it in the back of the net, and what do you want him to do? It's the exact same arguments. It's hilarious that it's just been superimposed onto a different faction of the fan base. When Freddie Anderson comes back, and Elliot Friedman reported that the Leafs don't believe he's done for the season, he's going to get an opportunity to take his job back, barring anything short of Jack Campbell starting to look like Dominic Hasek 2.0. Do you agree? He hasn't looked great. No, no, no. No, no. And, and he has not looked great. Do. He's looked no. and okay. You know who knows that? Jack Campbell. Right. He, he's very honest in his assessment of his play. 6-0 is 6-0. And there's yep. a part of me that's like, hey, the Cito Gaston thing is kind of my go-to for this. It's like, Cito Gaston was a great manager. Why? Because he was the manager of one of the most prolific offensive baseball teams in the early 90s? Well, you know what? They won, so he gets credit. So mm-hmm. as many bad goals as Jack Campbell allows, he made some big ones down the stretch, stopped the two-on-one Darnell Nurse and stopped Connor McDavid. And now the Maple Leafs have killed off four straight penalties. And you know what his save percentage is shorthanded? 941. What's been the biggest problem for Frederick Anderson this season has been shorthanded. And I know you're shaking your head because, I mean, I I guess it doesn't make any sense. If you can make saves, you would like to make saves either shorthanded or five on five. Jack Campbell is making the save shorthanded right now. I don't think he's unequivocally won the job but like I said going into this thing that you're probably going into the playoffs needing two goalies Mm -hmm. I think I pained you no you didn't pain me it's just very again it's just these small sample things with goaltenders and you brought up the save percentage thing last week so I'm thinking is this just the only way well he killed another penalty what do you mean they they won a one goal game they won an overtime game in which they killed a penalty and they've been a bottom 10 team in the league in killing penalties and Mm -hmm. he did that for them so congratulations to the toronto maple Leafs once again uh pushing aside another pursuer atop the north division one last game against uh connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl tonight which is good All right, every Monday, we break down Formula One with our next guest. No, we don't. But maybe we did it today. Was he watching? I didn't see him on Twitter. Justin Bourne uh, joins yeah. us every Monday to do the Leafs Hour, talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs, who's early on this uh, Drive to Survive series on, on Netflix. What's going on, Bourne? Not much, man. You know what? JD sent me, like, a cryptic text that, like, he wanted to talk F1, and then my wife sent me a text last night. We, By the way, we were on different floors of the house, and she sent me a text and told me the F1 series is back, but I haven't actually seen any, so I can't contribute. So you haven't seen any of Season 3, and you're not no. watching the races live? No. Not at all. Forget you. Yeah, no, forget you're you. Out. Yeah. You're out. <laughs> you're out. Is, it, is it good? Should I? Am I excited now? I personally believe that season three of the F1 show is the best one yet. It was incredible. Uh, 
the first one, the first episode is a little tiresome just because we've already done the thing about looking back on COVID just a, a million different ways. And that one I kind of wanted to get through, but the rest of the season was awesome, awesome, awesome. The first race was incredible. It ends up being Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen going wire to wire for the first race of the season and it was incredibly entertaining and all I can think of is I'm ingesting it now watching it thinking about what the storylines are going to be from the race and how they're going to cut away to something and what the first episode could be about you know it's just it's very very fun to do both I was worried that if I watched it it would spoil the show for me and so I I had some reservation about watching any of these races in the first place and knowing some of the results. Now it's just, it doesn't matter because you know Mercedes <laughs> is going to win. And what does it matter if you know whether or not someone finished fourth or fifth? What matters is getting to see the behind the scenes of it as well. So, no, I, I think it's brilliant. I love it. We're F1 guys. We actually think F1 might even be breaking through in North America that this, this Netflix series is that popular. Yeah, and man. You were very much at the forefront. Well, man, I love, and I saw Verstappen uh, won back-to-back polls. I don't know how the ra- actual race went this weekend, but I saw that things are going well for old Maxi. But uh, yeah, yeah. And are you a Verstappen I, guy? That's your guy. I, I, I don't dislike him. Yeah. I, I, I actively disliked a number of the drivers. Oh, Daniel Ricciardo. I don't understand how anyone could even remotely think he's a, a digestible whatsoever. It's that like pseudo Aussie charm, eh? Oh God! <laughs> I again, I have twenty minutes of material on why I can't stand Daniel Ricciardo. I sports hate Daniel Ricciardo deeply, deeply Love hate. That. Oh my goodness, do I hate him! Uh, every joke he makes is just the douchebaggy joke where this guy has been <laughs> liked and coddled for his entire life because he drives the race car fast. That's the yeah. funny thing about these drivers is everyone treats them with kid gloves and they're superstars. Of course they are. But they, that guy, I've never seen anyone with a more self-inflated uh, or uh, more massive inflated egos. sense of self. Oh, goodness. all of them. Massive egos. So fun. Such a fun show. <laughs> Such a fun show. Maybe the Leafs Amazon Prime show will be this exciting. I'm sure Not it will a be. Get it? Yeah. Not a chance. <laughs> the Leafs Amazon Prime show is going to be quite the step down. But this part of the season, the drama of the Leafs net and their struggles and them getting through it, and this will be this will be pretty entertaining. But I, I want to start with just this, which is Ben and I discussed it a little bit off the top of the show today, but. Why do you think the Leafs match up so well with Edmonton? Is this something where you actually shouldn't be taking a sample because it is only, what, it's nine games or eight games now? It's eight, eight, games. eight games. Yeah, ninth eight, ninth. Yeah, eight games in which they've played against the Oilers. They had their best three games of the season against them. Is that now a coincidence? Is there just a reason that you believe they match up so well against one another? I do, yeah. You know, the Leafs, if you look at the the type of teams that have given the Leafs a hard time over the past few years with this core, it's generally teams that are deep and defensive. You know, that kind of pack it in and play four lines and everything the Oilers don't do. You know, the Oilers are fine to trade chances. They, you know, they'll go up and down the rink with you and give you your looks. Uh, They don't make it overly physically difficult on you. And they they don't have a ton of, of depth throughout the lineup. So, it really plays into their hands. Now, they have two of the greatest hockey humans on earth. So there's no, you know, if they get some goaltending, they're in every game and they have a chance. But I just think that this is, that matchup for the Oilers is one that plays to the Leafs' strength where, you know, Willie Nylander and John Tavares and those guys who both scored can can have a chance to, to be at their best. That kind of sounds like Leafs teams of prior years. Like, it's just mm-hmm. like the Leafs are the more evolved Oilers, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's that. Yeah, you could have the Neanderthal talk or Neanderthal talk, and just have the evolutionary chart. The Leafs are one step ahead of, of where the Oilers are. Well, and and you did a great job of of breaking down how the Leafs win at when they're not at their best and how their weaknesses can be exploited. Uh, talking about getting to the net and getting some greasy goals. And there were a couple in those games. I don't know if I consider the Matthews overtime one a greasy goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would uh, I would definitely put the, the first goal in the category of greasy. Do you notice any concerted effort to, to try and get back to those places, to get to those goals that don't exactly lead highlight shows? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if... I don't know. It's tough to say if I recognize a concerted effort, but I do recognize that it's something the team knows 
about themselves. Like they are aware, you know, Sheldon Keefe has, has made comments to that effect about these guys getting to the inside. I actually saw John Tavares quote from this year discussing his five on five goal scoring. <clears throat> I think he's got four or five on the season, which is behind like Jimmy VC had that many for yeah. the Leafs, you know, like a number of guys have four or five goals or more for the Leafs at five on five. And Tavares made comments about getting to the middle more and, you know, that sounds sounds cliche, but, man, that's where the, the action is. Tavares has the great hands in tight, and so uh, they're aware of it. It's tough to make yourself do it all the time, but, uh, you know, identifying your own issues is, part of, is, is good. It's a good first step. So hopefully they can, uh, you know, as you know, in the big games, make that effort to be at those places at the rink. So the biggest takeaway I had from Saturday night involved that second line. I texted you afterwards just kind of going over some of the things that maybe we would discuss on the show. But it, it, it it's kind of an easy thing to draw narrative-wise, but I also think it's one of those things where what you see, what you're watching, they, they line up in reality, which is when the Leafs' second line provides offense the way that it's supposed to, the team is dangerous and looks like a cup contender and when they don't that's when real question marks pop up and they have throughout the season as to whether Tavares has lost a step and whether Nylander does enough for you when he's not scoring or what you know we went all we already did the thing this year of the mm-hmm. news cycle around William Nylander and whether he does enough has already passed and it'll probably crop up in the playoffs again if they lose and he doesn't perform but as of right now we've put it to bed But this second line, one of the most interesting things involves ice time. Because naturally, the plan for the Leafs was, well, they're going to play Matthews 20-plus minutes and they're going to play Tavares 20-plus minutes. So you really just need to cobble together the other third of the game because you should have elite center play the entire time. Especially considering that you're playing with William Nylander and that those two guys are combining for, what, almost 18 million bucks? What, What do you make of just the ice time because even on a night like that, where they look more dominant and they convert and they score, we're still not seeing them get up into those massive those massive minutes. Yeah, no, the, it's a real question for this team. Um, I think Neil and Tavares were threatening like the 16 minute mark or something in a game where both guys played pretty well on Saturday night, and it's like, what what is going on here? So here's here's what it comes down to, um, you know. I'm trying to decide whether I go the Paul Maurice route with this first, but no, I'm going to go a different way. So what it comes down to is the Zach Hyman question. So we're always discussing where do you play Zach Hyman? What's the best use for this guy? And there's no doubt that he's best when he plays with Marner and Matthews. That line's best when they have him. The problem is you want him to play everywhere. So Saturday night, they play him on the third line, and then you believe suddenly you have another line you can use. You have this zip line or the, what are they calling it, the hem line, whatever you want to call it. Those guys can uh, hit the meh line, if you like. Those guys can go up with Mikheyev and Engvall up against the other team's best team. You leave softer opponents for Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Tavares. Your team scores a lot of goals and you win. Here's the problem. The second you put Hyman on that third line, you're matching him up against the other team's best guys, which means he's playing a lot more, and your third line's playing a lot more. All of a sudden, McKayev and Engvall are getting a lot of minutes because you've got Zach Hyman there, and then you're making sure that you get Matthews and Marner their minutes, and that's where Tavares and Nylander go to die. That's when they're made irrelevant. When Hyman plays on the third line, you are making them the third most important line on your team, and they play about those many minutes, and all of a sudden... You know your your minutes are all askew, and and I think that's part of what happened on Saturday, and it's part of the problem with playing uh, Hyman down the lineup, uh, is that unfortunately you lose Nylander and Tavares, so that's part of the equation. I don't think we factored in when we've talked about Hyman and where he plays. Yeah, I I still think the evidence is there that you continue to play Hyman with the top line, and when they get to the postseason, that's going to be the way because. I I hate doing this because it's obvious, but whenever they try to put Joe Thornton up on the top line at this point, I hate it. And He has an assist in 10 games, by the way. One assist. I I just don't know what we're doing here with Joe Thornton. And to me, I I was talking with a friend off air. It would seem likely, based on his play as of late, he should be a healthy scratch in the postseason. That if this team adds that... He shouldn't be on the roster, right? I, I'm watching Alex Galchenyuk, and I think he's doing more for you right now than Joe Thornton is on the ice. 
the dressing room conversation is a completely different one. I'm really not trying to discount that. And I, I believe there is a tangible and important impact that he is having in this room. And that when push comes to shove and they are in a meaningful game, I want to have the big bearded guy in the room calming things down if they're going awry or uh, – providing whatever it is that he does with this team. And maybe some of it is just being a lightning rod like he is right now, but I just don't see it. And when they're in the defensive zone and he does, or he doesn't have the puck on his stick, it's not as though he's always been fleet of foot, but he looks like he's stuck in cement. His skating is not at the point where it's, oh, well, Joe Thornton's slow. It's Joe, Joe Thornton is genuinely uh, the worst skater in the NHL. I, I don't know who is slower or who's stiffer or who has the less amount of acceleration and these are things we knew but to me it's just not you're not getting enough out of your top two guys if he's there maybe it's too much to be putting a hymen but i think it's the right move and keith thinks it's the right move because he keeps closing games with it he knows that this is the eventuality so if it's costing you minutes of Tavares and nylander and they're playing this way and it's also hurting your top line. At some point, I do think that you shake it up. But l let's stick with the second line for a second because I have two mm -hmm. more questions with it. One is, Keith has a thing where whenever people discuss John Tavares and his lack of production, he immediately goes to, yes, but he's not giving up as much as years past. Yes, but he's not getting enough credit for his defense. Do you believe this is – we play Is This Anything on the on this show – is this actually something John Tavares, quote-unquote, shut down center or defensive revolution? Well, what I think it is, is it exposes how little most of us recognized uh, how much he struggled on the defensive uh, end of things in the past. You know, I, I think it was a much bigger issue that us not combing through the video as much as uh, the teams. I don't think we recognized that how much of a liability they thought it was. Like, I didn't realize uh, until reading some quotes today that, again, in the Columbus series, the Tavares line didn't even win their uh, their goals battle. You know, they were, they were a minus on the series. The John Tavares making 11 million bucks as your second line center. Columbus uh, had no forward depth, and, and he's the second, you know, he finishes in second place in this matchup. So um, that's not good. That's not good. And so I, I do recognize that he has made efforts to improve there and sure he's done better and their their line ends up on, on the ice for more goals and goals against. But I think it's been a problem and, and one that they're really working on with him. So there's, there's probably a balance of a number of things. And my hunch is it's like they've asked him to play better defensively. They he also like had a kid last year. They've gone into the COVID. He's gotten older. Like it's this whole thing where like I don't know. It just doesn't seem to be coming as easy for him. But I think it's just a number of circumstances that are making him less offensively dangerous. Yeah, and there's lots of guys that are in and around his point total, which are I mean superstars. I think Sidney Crosby's got the same point total. Uh, but yeah, five and five. It hasn't been there. The ice time thing is weird because yeah, it's low, super low. He barely cracked 15 minutes on on Saturday. But he had 22 shifts. He had one fewer shift than Mitch Marner, five on five, and two fewer in the totality of the game. He played his shifts 20 seconds less than Mitch Marner. And we did this in the, the, the game seven, uh, Mike Babcock's final game as head, uh, final playoff game as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs with the Austin Matthews ice time. Well, he had the most shifts in that game. What are you supposed to do if the guy won't stay on the ice? What are we to make of that? That he actually has the same number of shifts as the big boys, but he's... 10 minutes less in ice time. A lot of that yeah. going on the power play, you would think. Well, yeah, I wonder how often he came off the rink and how often there's a whistle and they took him off the rink um, for, for shorter shifts. It is, you know, another one of this, uh, the, the things with Hyman playing down and Thornton playing up is Thornton plays PP1 now, and, and Joe Thornton's getting much more power play time than John Tavares, which I don't mm -hmm. think you like either. So I'd like to see Tavares get more power play time. But, you know, I'll, I'll bring this around to something J.D. and I had talked about earlier when we were talking about ice time. So Paul Maurice about two weeks ago was talking about Nick Ehlers and Winnipeg Jets fans not being able to figure out why Ehlers plays 16 minutes a night. And he said, the guys that we want Nick playing against don't play 20 minutes a night. And that, that was his reason why those guys played the minutes they did. Uh, which is to say, I think you're saying we don't believe that Nick Ehlers can handle the best competition and thrive, but we think if we give him the tomato cans, he'll eat them alive. I think that's an assessment that the Leafs have made with the, with the, the Tavares line. 
I don't think they they think they can handle the big names, but I think that they think if they serve them soft competition, they'll eat them up, and that's why they're playing less. They're trying to match them up against softer competition. I don't know that it's working necessarily, but I think that's at least in part the theory. Sheldon Keefe said on our show last week, there's a plan for all these guys, and he seems to be sticking to whatever that plan is. Yeah, see, that makes sense, but is also troubling. Yeah, big time troubling. Sure right? it is. If, you're, if your cap allocation <laughs> yeah. is those two guys well, and you're yeah. trying to feed them softer matchups, my brain goes, yeah, because they haven't looked overly spectacular. Tavares does look um, less dominant than he has in the past. I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that they keep shuffling and trying to find a winger for him when his entire – the John Tavares story – especially when he signed in Toronto, is you can put anyone with him. We did shows where He's we would star say, maker. right, why not just put player X and Y with Tavares and load up other lines because you know he's going to be able to carry just about anybody. And now all of a sudden it's, hey, what do the Leafs need to do at the deadline? Well, they've got to get a winger for John Tavares. They've got to get a guy that can play on the left wing. But do they? Do you think that it's as urgent as it was before with what's happened with Galchenyuk? Because when you're talking about sheltering them, I go, well, yeah, it is that urgent because I don't feel comfortable with Alex Galchenyuk playing any type of a hard matchup, especially one that's been – or that could happen in the playoffs. But you see the, the goal from the other night where he sets up a play and that results in Tavares' goal, and I say, wow, that's actually a pretty decent amount of skill. That was a nice little moment. You don't mean to read in too much to that because we get caught up in those moments far greater than we do the other 15 minutes of his ice time in that game. Mm-hmm. But how have you evaluated Galchenyuk with that group just so far? Because, yeah, they, they drove them to a win, I thought, on Saturday night. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. I've loved the way they handled uh, Galchenyuk. You know, they bring him in. They promise him nothing. They make no even positive comments about him in the media. They send him to the minors. And they say, figure it out. Guy looks pretty good there. He gets his chance. And, and then, you know, they put him in a chance to succeed once he got up. So I think they played it really well. But I'm going to go ahead and put a little pump the brakes on that and say, this feels like the Joe Thornton thing at the start of the year where inevitably we're sitting here in two weeks going, haven't seen it from Galchenyuk or in the playoffs and going, haven't seen it. Where'd he go? You know, this this is not someone I don't think you want to be relying on. My concern as I hear you talking about that, J.D., is everyone's saying the Leafs need a top six winger, right? Okay, so you get your top six winger and it's, you know, you're going to put them, I guess the hole is beside Matthews and, and Marner, do we think? Because right yeah. now it's been Joe Thornton. So you put him there, whoever this top six winger is. I don't think there is a hole there. I think, again, eventually it ends up being Zach Hyman. The whole, the whole reason why you put Galchenyuk on this line is because you know it's not going to be there come the future. It's a, hey, don't get too comfortable with the situation. Here's a great audition. Here's the place you basically need to be playing. He can't be down on the fourth line, even though it is with Jason Spezza. But you're not going to find out nearly as much about whether or not it has any sustainability. or. And, and they went out and got him for a reason. So they must believe that there is a scenario where he can be effective. Yeah. But yeah. ultimately, the logic behind it, to me anyways, when they first decided to make this move was he's here because eventually someone else will be. Yep. That, that makes some sense. I, I'm with you that there's like a scenario where they're like, I don't know, maybe if we play our cards right, we can get the best out of this kid in a desperate situation. But I guess where I was kind of leading towards there is that I think that the, the hole that needs to be filled is on the Tavares-Nylander wing. Because if you go to, yeah. if you plug someone onto the top line with Matthews Marner, then you put Hyman back on the third line. We're in the scenario where I was, uh, I was talking about off the top of the show, where now you're playing the third line to, against tough matchups. You still have the, this line that you want to play a ton with Matthews and Marner. And those, that second line is not dangerous. So in like my who's who's the ideal player for this team situation, I kind of had Nick Felino come to mind. But Nick yeah. Felino's not going to play on, on the line with those guys, I don't think, unless Tavares is going to play wing. You know, but it's someone someone who can, can finish and can play in the top six, but also can, you know, kill penalties and uh, add an inside element and a gritty element. There's not too many of those guys out there, but you you got to find someone for that spot on the second line, I think. Well, it would be in an ideal scenario, though, if you went out and got a Philip Forsberg. Alex Galchenyuk keeps playing like this. You plug and play Forsberg on that top line, and then you've got Hyman in that, that role on the third line, and then the fixer late in games or whatever. Yeah, but that feels like fantasy camp at this point. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's only a couple of games, but it's it's hard to ignore what Galchenyuk's done. He's had some chemistry with Jason Spetz as well. Oh, yeah, no, I meant more of the Philip Forsberg thing. Oh, were... well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
The Taylor Hall thing, it doesn't seem impossible, but, like, I don't know if that's what the the Leafs need. I know it's not. No. You're right with the Felino thing. There's a reason why his name keeps coming up is because he makes the most sense. And now that – I think the price of acquisitions are going to start to come down. They are certainly for the Leafs. You're not giving up – Less games left. People kept doing this straw man of, you're not giving up Nick Robertson for Nick Felino. No, duh. You know who's not doing that? Uh, Kyle Dubas. <laughs> He's not picking up the phone if you're calling for Nick Robertson and the other line is Nick Felino. But you pointed out, I was paying attention to it yesterday because I happened to put a little sprinkle on Columbus thinking, hey, their season's on the line and they're playing Detroit. You got to figure that they beat Detroit. No, they lost and that's two losses in a row to Detroit. I think Columbus's season is done at this point. Now they're selling. We're going to eventually see a move there. Guys from here, he's a pressure player. He plays well in the playoffs. He's a different style of guy. I think he fits right next to John Tavares perfectly, and it yeah. does give you a little bit more lineup flexibility. It takes pressure off the likes of Galchenyuk's and the likes of Nick Robertson's, who, by the way, I think they've got to take a look at pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if Nick Robertson... If Nick Robertson is going to be any part of your plans or even contingency plans, you should probably take a look at him, even if it's down the lineup, at some point coming up here. They've already cycled through a ton of guys on the fourth line with Spezza. Why not do that sooner rather than later? But ultimately, we're all coming to the same place, which is it's good that Alex Galchenyuk has played this way. He has... I would say outperformed what many of us expected him to do, but ultimately, yeah, in an all-in season where this team has struggled to find toughness oh, in difficult situations come playoff time, not sure you want to be riding Alex Galchenyuk for potentially up to 18 minutes. And yeah. it probably hurts your case of... Well, you want to be able to play Tavares and Nylander against harder matchups. You're not doing it if Galchenyuk's on that line. Right. That's that's exactly right. Now, I think, you know, when you sit down as Sheldon Keefe at the end of the day, you know, you're in the playoffs. You don't want – I don't think you can win if Tavares and Nylander are playing 16 minutes. They're, they're paid too much money. They're too, too much – like the plan for this team is to have these four guys score a pile of goals and be drive lines and then figure it out the rest of the way. If those guys aren't uh, aren't doing it, you're in trouble. I think you got to find a guy to play with them to make sure they're playing on the right end of the rink and so you feel more comfortable having them out there against tougher matchups. Here's what I don't want to hear anymore, uh, and apologies if you've said this, but um... – I don't want to hear. Maybe the Leafs already have their deadline acquisition, and Alex Galchenyuk. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I've I've heard that one. No, keep burning up those phone lines. More, more, more. Uh, <laughs> add somebody. All right, more with Justin Bourne as Good Show's Leafs Hour continues. Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. Good Show's Leafs Hour continues. Sportsnet five ninety, the fan. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, and Justin Bourne, and I think we found. The one guy Jack Campbell isn't super nice to, and that's Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell, his uh, own harshest critic uh, after the victory, which moved him to 6-0 and this season. He's the number one goalie, unquestionably, with Frederick Anderson uh, on the shelf, and he just keeps on winning. He wasn't great, though, <laughs> on the weekend born. Like, what are we supposed no. to make of these appearances from, from Jack Campbell? You know, I don't want to be the, the guy who just like poo poos, <laughs> you know, Galchenyuk, Galchenyuk played great, and I'm like, ah, it's not gonna last. The Campbell thing scares me, is all. You know, I, I, he hasn't had any run of having to be the starter, and he, I'll just say what I think, which is that I think he looks small in the net to me, <laughs> and sometimes I feel nervous, but it's because he does. Yeah, okay, he that makes me feel better. You're, someone else sees it's, that. The Leafs but, have a guy who's a six foot four, massive Danish guy, and he's not that. Yeah, so that's problematic at times, but, you know, he, he's played extremely well. He has deserved a, a lot more run. The Leafs should be happy. Here's the, the the big compliment I'll give him is that when you're down 3-1, sometimes it can kind of feel like, ah, they get one more and the game gets away from you, uh, and you don't feel like it's as important maybe. He made two big saves when the game was 3-1 to give the Leafs a chance to come back into it. I don't know if they win that game if Freddie Anderson's in net. Not the way he's played this year. So 
I'll say he's made the saves he's had to make and it's looked really good. I do still get a little nervous about that being the plan for the Leafs, but he certainly has been excellent in, in all his time with Toronto so far. I said off the top of the show, there's no way he can steal the net from Freddie Anderson. And anyone who is selling themselves on the idea that these wins are in some way impacting the Leafs' decision-making going forward is playing fantasy camp. It's exactly what happened with Freddie Anderson through some of this season. Happened the other night, just the game happened to be flipped where Toronto ends up tying it late. If the Leafs lose that game, the mental hurdles Leaf fans or Freddie Anderson haters or the people who just want Jack Campbell to supplement him for reasons still not extremely clear would have been amazing because he let in three goals on what I thought were three difficult shots, but also it was, uh, I believe, 13 or 14 shots at that point where he had let in the third goal, which does not equate to the type of save percentage that people seem to be looking for when it comes to Freddie Anderson. Uh, Watching another goalie play, you might realize tough goals are hard to stop. And Ben keeps bringing up this penalty kill thing and how he's made some stops on the penalty kill, and that's well and good. I just need to see it over the course of the amount of games Freddie Anderson has played, or at least 10 games of this on the power play, for me to start making judgment calls about whether the two of them are really that different in this unit. So it's great. Jack Campbell has been playing solid. He's been giving them what they need to win games. And there's no doubt he deserves a ton of credit for that. And there's no doubt you as a Maple Leafs fan should feel so much safer with the idea of Freddie Anderson blows a game in the playoffs or doesn't look good in the playoffs and you can turn to someone else, whereas in years past they have not had that lever to pull. But can't envision a scenario where Jack Campbell plays any kind of way that when Freddie Anderson is healthy, their head coach Sheldon Keefe doesn't go and say, we're putting Freddie Anderson back in the net because we believe at his very best he gives us our greatest chance of winning. It's it's a tough spot for Campbell because, like, everyone has bad games, and you're allowed to have a bad game, and there's probably a bad game coming up here. That's just inevitable. But, like, for him, if he wants to be the starter for the Toronto Maple Leafs, I don't know if he gets any. Like, maybe he's allowed one or something while Freddie's out and he gets another uh, a couple of starts after that to, to follow it up. But, like, because of the history of Freddie Anderson, what we know he is and can be in the NHL, it would be really hard to give Campbell the, the lead job for the last 20 games, have him play well for a lot of them, and say, yep, we're going to put Freddie on the bench even though he's healthy. So it's a, it's a tough spot for Campbell to be in. To your uh, point off the top there, uh, Ben, about like the comments, I, I appreciate someone who's a nice guy who's trying to take ownership for like their mistakes and not blame other guys, but like, lay off a little man like the comments well, he's really beating himself up in these no, pressers man, like said. like it doesn't even seem authentic yes. I, I don't know can, can every can every goal be a tragedy like sometimes eh, you know, a couple get away from you I don't know Ben do you want to do the thing what do you thing? Wanna... well Ben and I discussed this we uh, oh. Ben and I hung out on Saturday and watched March Madness and the Leafs game and call him a nice phony call him a nice phony <laughs> Well, Ben raised the question of, do you think that would get tiresome? And I said, for me personally, yes. I'm not, I, I, it seems as though the Leafs love Jack Campbell. And there is a real mutual admiration between he and the team. And when a guy is genuinely nice, we all know this, it actually works. And then everyone does like them. There are just very few people where that is actually the case. And every once in a while when, yes, someone is beating themselves up to that degree, it becomes actually tiresome for you because you have to be, what, patting them on the back or telling well, them it's that like it's the fine, person, especially... Yeah. It's the person that keeps apologizing for things that aren't their fault, right? It's like, oh, I'm so yeah. sorry, I'm so sorry. That's it's like, well, me that's every nice. shift, by the way, as a player yeah. to my line mates. <laughs> but you probably sorry, have sorry, legitimate things to apologize for, right? <laughs> yeah. Those were yeah, legit. you're trash. Yeah, yeah, that's like, sorry, I'm garbage. I'll be in media no soon. No one enough, would please. ever consider you to be the Jack Campbell of Sportsnet 590. So don't worry about it. You don't need to put yourself in his shoes. That's not a role that you're. Feeling. What's hilarious is that like I do see the game well and couldn't make the play. So no wonder I was apologizing all the time. I was yeah, like, yeah. I knew you were open. I just sucked. So. <laughs> I 
not capable of getting you the puck. Yeah, no, it's quite a. It's one thing to just be praising everybody else and talking about how great your teammates are and the stick taps of the defenseman after every single save. That's cool, but then be like, yeah, I can't but wait I'm for him to let I'm, one in I'm doing so that. Bad. By the way, yeah, because <laughs> right. he keeps doing it whenever the whenever he makes a stop and a defenseman clears it, he does the auto tap on the back of the legs, and I'm just waiting for a defenseman to put a muffin, a soft one up the middle, and someone to just send a clapper back towards the net and beat him and have it just go, well, that's the end of that move. Maybe I'm just jealous, though, because I'm not as nice as him. And, yeah, yeah. I don't say enough. Yeah, we're just a bunch is... of jerks. We're just a you bunch of jerks it... looking at a nice guy trying to wonder, yeah. what. hey, what's your game, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> what are you in this for? Nice. Ulterior motive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is really reflective of us more than it was on yeah. Dan Campbell. This whole oh, conversation. Yeah. No, it's brutal. We're the worst people in yeah. the world. <laughs> Why are you trying to be nice, buddy? What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, what's your angle? <laughs> yeah. What's your uh, game, friend? But uh, to the point about uh, the starts going forward, and Freddie Anderson, you've got to be super, super cautious, obviously, and they will, and they already have mm-hmm. been, and he's missed nine games, and they're day-to-day, even though he's not going to miss the rest of the season, but maybe he returns just, like, for the final two weeks, whatever. These games are becoming more and more meaningless because I don't really care if they finish first. Like I said, if they finish first, maybe they're going to get a worse matchup than the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. Like, finish? It would be a bad narrative, I suppose, about how we were talking about them being the best Leaf team ever one of those early 90s Leaf teams and they finished second or third in this division. But honestly, I don't care. And here's what I know. Jack Campbell can't stay healthy throughout his entire career. And this team has a big-time problem if it only has one goaltender going into the postseason and both of these guys are banged up. I know Michael Hutchinson stinks. (laughs) And it was evidenced in his last time he was uh, in net for this Leafs team. But if it costs you a win or two down the stretch here before Freddie Anderson comes back, I think you got to you got to step away from Jack Campbell here and can't just unequivocally hand him all these starts in a row. He's never had that. He's never he's never shown the ability to be healthy. It's going to be interesting looking at the standings too. Like the the standings look like they're kind of sorting themselves out a little bit. Like not sure exactly who's going to win the division, but like or or second and third. But like you can tell who the playoff teams are now. I think like Vancouver's got a. They're not getting in. Calgary's not getting in now, are they? Like, no, it's over. Yeah, Montreal's like like six games in hand on them or something. Yeah, so like it looks like we know the four teams, and then you so you say, okay, these are the four or the three teams that the Toronto Maple Leafs will have to get past. You're going to have to play two of them to get to the uh, semifinals. I guess not the conference final. So like, who do you want? Who do you want uh, if you got to play two of the three anyway? Their toughest matchup might be Montreal. If they yeah. who they're likely to get if they finish first, so uh, you're right, Ben. Uh, I'm not sure if you, you want to finish first, of course, but is second or third that bad? I don't know. Probably no, not. second or third is not that bad. I've already done this mental exercise. Was doing it after the Edmonton game. Going, boy, you're not lining things up to face Edmonton, but you're also not scrapping and clawing for first place knowing it's likely going to end up in a matchup against Montreal. When you try to play the Galaxy Brain game, right, when you try to play the Galaxy Brain game of getting the same first round matchup that you want, it comes back to bite you in the ass. And of course I understand the implication of uh, the Leafs trying to get Connor McDavid could backfire. Of course, of course, of course it could. But we also discussed this. Toronto's game matches up well with Edmonton's. At least Montreal and Winnipeg want to do... They want to play the game a different stylistically. And they have elements to their team that are far more terrifying than the ones possessed by the Oilers. Because for Edmonton, it's, it's, a, it's two names, right? You go, well, they have McDavid and Dreisaitl. And the rest of their roster, you just go, okay. That's yeah, cool. Sure. Uh, I'll take my chances against Mike Smith. They're the number one team that will go into the postseason more than the Leafs of it's probably going to be a different goalie in game two or it could be a different goalie in game two. It, yeah. oh, let's put it this way. Even if it's not game two, they're the number one team you would choose of they won't have the same goalie in net for all the games of their series. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the team you want to play against in the first round. Of course Toronto would like them. Home ice advantage to me is becoming less and less relevant. The only thing that is, is making sure that you're as healthy as possible. It's why if Matthews needs a rest day for the wrist, you take it. It's why if Jack (laughs) Campbell is playing four games in a row and he doesn't have a track record of staying healthy, as Ben outlined, you sit him. 
It's why you don't want Jason Spezza playing back-to-backs. It's why you don't want Joe Thornton playing back-to-backs if the plan is to have him on the roster. I, I wish so badly they would deploy this as though the Leafs' best players are LeBron James and they're going in for a stretch run and they're trying to go deep in the postseason. Of course I would. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting. I honestly believe that there's a chance that happens this year. Like, the Leafs are somewhere, you know, know knowing they're going to finish first or second in the last week or two. Like, do, does Matthew sit out a game or two? And and by the way, does the chase for the Rocket Richard affect that in some way? Um, and but with your other older guys, certainly I could I could see a lot of guys coming in. I saw today, uh, Marinson and Callie Rosen got uh, called up to the taxi squad. Like mm. I, I don't know, I don't know what what's to come here. By the way, my one also my thought was Lilligren went back down to the Marlies. I'm sure they're looking to get him him some games. How, I think they're looking to they... get him some games on a different team. I was gonna say, how have they not cut bait yet on that? Like. He's he's been like the ninth most likely guy to get into the lineup for like four years now. If you don't like him, maybe someone else will give him a chance. I don't know. Well, here's the thing. They don't like him, and they've tried to move him, and nobody else has wanted him. Uh, And uh, Okay, so this actually brings me to a fun game. What is going to be the most annoying thing over the next couple weeks? Is it going to be A... Jack Campbell wins games and he has definitively stolen the net for one section of Lee fans. Is it B, putting Timothy Lilligren in trade, uh, fake trades where he's essentially the centerpiece or the second piece of a trade that another team would somehow covet him in a certain way? Or is it C, people who are going to pretend they've seen Alex Steves and have Alex Steves thoughts, the, the college player that the Leafs signed? Which of the, three things, which of the three things will make you send a DM on Twitter of, oh my God, can you believe this person? <laughs> it's going to be the Lilligren thing because and no one yeah. will have the audacity to no. have claimed to have seen Steves. Will it? Will oh, there will that. be some audacity. There has already been guy. some. I I would never name names, but there's certainly going to be a Steve's guy or gal. By the way, is he 5'10"? I haven't seen him. I literally know nothing about him. Here's what I know about Alex Steves. His name is Alex Steves. He played NCAA (laughs) hockey. He was apparently coveted. I had never heard his name before he was signed with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, all of a sudden, it's, hey, could Alex Steves be the missing link for the Toronto Maple Leafs Stanley (laughs) Cup hopes? That's what happens here. It's the best. It's the very, very best. Uh, So... Uh so we all agree it's Alex Steve's takes. Alex Steve's well, takes are number hold on. one. I, I, I just need to or know no, if it's five ten or not. Five eleven. Five eleven. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> yes. He's a monster on this team. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, jokes aside, it's going to be the Lilligan <laughs> thing because I don't know. Can we still trade Bracco? Can fans still trade Bracco? Is, is Bracco on the Leafs? No, he? no, no he's not. he was yeah. not. <laughs> yeah, I thought that's why. Yeah, they, that was they the joke. That's the joke. Yeah, but I, like having him and all the deals. So, yes, that's going to be annoying. We'll, we'll see what other fantasies happen and what actually happens in real life. It, it's just funny because if you speak with anybody who knows the Lilligren situation, it's immediately, oh, yeah, uh, this guy is uh, – he, he lacks hockey IQ that is needed at that level. And while there is a lot of skill – the myth of this guy dropped in the draft because of mono is completely removed. This guy dropped in the draft because he's got no hockey sense. And there might be a lot of tools where every once in a while... Guys like that are actually the most frustrating because you could watch them in a smaller sample or catch the odd night where they do a couple things and you go, wow, that looked NHL level. The skating, the passing, the shot, all of those things. But it's when you put the full body together, you get the picture of, oh, okay, well, actually, nah, it's not really there. There's nothing really there. The, the, I think the, the, the biggest thing, if you're a small defenseman, is you have to be exceptional. Like you yeah. have to be exceptional on the offensive side of things. Um, you know he's he's been good for the Marlies. I, I'm told I haven't watched enough to know, but yeah, it doesn't no. seem like that's. I, I'm relying on the information of others as well, but yeah. from people I've discussed it with and people who I respect, it's essentially been a unanimous. There's no way this guy's ever going to be more than a seventh defenseman on a team. It basically the scenario which they had. God, I've already forgotten the guy's name. 
that they had here. My brain's already flushed it. Oh, He's no yeah, longer on the, the team. <laughs> See, now you're making me do it. I, does anyone remember the name of the Andrew seventh? Uh, Miko Letnin. No, no. Yeah, Miko Letnin. Yeah, yeah. That you're hoping it's a Miko Letnin situation where he's a seventh D and you bring him in based on if you lose a certain type of guy. But yeah, I can't. I didn't. I wasn't expecting to do Lilligren talk today. I got to admit. Well, but no, he is. Prepare. It's true that he was just like an injury away or two mm-hmm. from being in this lineup. And mm-hmm. knock on wood, the Leafs. Defense core has been remarkably healthy this season. You just had the the one muzzin facial injury, which was rough. But you suffer an injury now. Like it, it's why I I think they're going to add a defenseman. The idea of one of those bigger name defensemen is probably unrealistic because it's not your number one priority. But they are uh, an injury on that blue line away from being in a real, real, real bad shape. Yeah, I just think it's something you can add easy. The article I'm considering writing right now is a power rankings of Leafs. Uh, that hurt you the most if they're if they're injured in playoffs. Like who really affects you the most? The, the I thought of that Ben because you mentioned Jake Muzzin, um, but it's like Matthews one, Marner two, yeah. and then I don't know Hyman then Muzzin. Born, I was just <laughs> going to say what an what an art, what a thrilling article idea this is. Hey, you know who hurts you the most if they get hurt? The best guys. People go, whoa, really? No, the but it, it's Hyman and Muzzin who I don't think yeah. people have up there. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Muzzin ahead really, of Hyman. M- you know, I actually believe Muzzin, the fan base has come around to the, oh, actually, this guy's our best defenseman. After Justin Hall has been a terrific story, there's no doubt that you could you could sneaky make the case Justin Hall is Kyle Dubas's best move as general manager. Could you not? Sure. I, I was actually just thinking of Muzzin. I was thinking of Sean Dursey's in the American right. League. Carl Grundstrom plays like, I don't know, 10 minutes a night for L.A. Yeah. Whatever. The, the, trade, the trade has been phenomenal. I meant more, yeah, the the idea that the Leafs were going to bring Marlies up or that they were going to find players around the fringes better than anybody else, that hasn't really panned out. There's no Leafs that are the fringe Leafs where, oh, they were undervalued commodities, right? Malgans and Patans, how many of those dudes haven't come around? In fact, it's been the opposite where the most successful names that have worked out for the Leafs have been the veteran players like Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza, who are hometown guys that signed for cheap, which has been every fan's take since the beginning of the Toronto Maple Leafs, which is bring <laughs> the hometown guys who care and have a track record home if they'll sign for less. Yeah. Hall is the one guy where he believed in him and he panned out to be a top four defenseman, someone who was not in the lineup to a top four defenseman, and I believe a legitimate one. But there was a moment where we were talking about Justin Hall as though he was the Leafs' best defenseman, and then guess what? He played a little stint without Jake Muzzin, and we went, who the hell is that guy that is not nearly as good? And it was because Jake Muzzin was gone. Jake Muzzin is the fixer. He is to defensemen what John Tavares used to be to wingers, where you can just basically put anybody with him. We had a Nikita Zaitsev moment with Jake Muzzin, where there was a case to be made to keep... Barry moment. Right. There was a case to be made to keep Nikita Zaitsev because all of a sudden he looked fine when he was next to Jake Muzzin. They cannot lose Jake Muzzin. It's not. It's a non-starter. It's between he and TJ yeah. Brody is the most important Leafs defenseman, and to me it's Muzzin for sure. What was wild is, is so I've had uh, jaw issues from a hockey puck, as you guys know, uh, you know, a number of surgeries, very tender, couldn't eat an apple for a year, that whole thing. And I saw Jake Muzzin with his, uh, with his bubble on, yeah. and... And he took it off last game, and he throws himself into the corner. I honestly think I'm either such a coward or these people have just insane, insane fearlessness, like running around with a broken face into the corners after – I don't know, man. I don't have it. Muzzin certainly does. It's both. It can be both. You're a coward, and he is incredibly (laughs) brave and tough. Yes. It's not a one or the other scenario here. It's a very clear – the answer is both. Maybe I'm – yeah. No, you're probably right. I'm definitely right. There's times where it's debatable whether I'm right, and I claim to be right a lot more than I actually am. This is not one of those times. No. And you're not getting any pushback from me because I'm a coward. (laughs) Yeah, because you're a coward. Exactly. Hey, you can eat an apple now. So congrats. And I delight in that. They're delicious. Apples (laughs) suck. Apples are the most overrated fruit. <laughs> They're bad for your teeth. They're acidic. What's a Twitter take right there? No, you have to. I thought apples they were good, are good for your teeth. No, apples are good if you cut them up into slices and there's peanut butter involved. But that's just a statement of how great peanut You're butter a is. Child. What it's are you, not like Labrador. Yeah, Labrador. No, everyone likes. 
pieces of apple with uh, peanut butter. That's obvious. That's a that's the number one way to consume an apple. It's also not fair because we live in Canada where fruit is trash and you go to other countries and you go, this is what you have. This is fruit. This is what fruit is for you. I I grew up in B.C. Do not talk apple smack at me with your Ontario, whatever you're getting out here. Or B.C. Yeah, no, everything about B.C. is great. Keep telling the world that. That's your guys' move is that we're the best and we have all the best things here. And then really there's no evidence of that. Yeah. It's just angry people in Ontario. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right, more You're one apple. Of them. <laughs> I know. More I know. Apple and F1 talk uh, coming up on Monday. Uh, apples Borny. are trash. All right, Good thanks stuff. for having me, guys. Apples yeah. are for horses. Yeah. Feed it to a horse. Okay. Didn't know you had such strong apple takes. Apples are Who good. Who likes apples? Good. Genuinely, like apple. apple is just a desperation snack where you go, "Oh, what are you going to have?" Uh, apple. What's your favorite fruit then, smart guy? My favorite fruit, I don't want to say because. It's what do you mean? Of... Oh, okay, this is great. What is it? My favorite fruit is watermelon. Yeah, I love watermelon. Why but the best fruit, I would say, is strawberries. Strawberries just – blueberries are excellent. Bananas are excellent. But apples oh, are just – like compared to those fruit, it's just not – it's non-starter, right? But apples. an apple is just easy to consume. You just you wash it off. That's you what, give it a little sure, polish. The, yes. And, hey, yes. if the argument is practicality, apple is at the top. It's why it exists. Is because it's practical because you can just shine it and eat it. But if that's as, if strawberries were that easy, if like they if it was see easy you to on get on the subway with the strawberry no. juice dripping down Dude. your face, the baseline for apples is clear, right? You know what you're getting with an apple. Whereas with the other ones, it's trick. You can get amazing blueberries, you can oh, get yeah. bad blueberries. Oh, yeah. Apple is just a baseline flat. It's just okay. And then every once in a while, you get a Fiji apple that's incredible, but it's a one-off. You get one a year, one great Fiji apple a year, and then the rest is just mediocre apple the rest of the season. I'm telling you, you this is the only apple take that I'm, it's, it's, it's a plateau. I will say that I don't get excited about apples. Obviously no one gets excited about apples. Crazy. No one. The people who get excited about apples are called horses. Yeah. All right. They're not people. They're horses. All right. All right, Leafs Oilers has been the Simpsons meme. Stop, stop, he's already dead. And they're 6-2 and two against the Oilers. Winners at four straight, even trailing by two goals headed into the third period. Come away with a 4-3 overtime victory because Austin Matthews is so skilled he can bank it off a couple of pairs of skates and into the net. It's incredible. Uh, so one last chance to feel good about themselves, the Oilers do against the Leafs. Final regular season meeting tonight, and uh, Leafs are going to start their backup. Michael Hutchison gets the start in net tonight. Uh, let's talk to Louis DeBrus, former NHL forward, Sportsnet analyst online right now. What's going on, Louis? Hey, guys. How you doing? You know what? The, the good players do seem to get those bounces, though, don't they? I heard what you said about Austin Matthews, yeah. but he was you have to give it to him. He's been trying. Yeah, there's no question. He's had some great A's and some great opportunities, and if you continue to put the puck on the net, good things will eventually happen, and it did for him in overtime. So he'll take it. He's not going to complain that it went off the skate. I guarantee you that. No. and he looks Is he looking a little more normal really to you now? Good. Yeah. I think so. You know what? I think there's just such a high expectation that's brought on by himself. I think number first and foremost by Austin himself, but then also just from, you know what it's like being in Toronto, being in a Canadian market, being a a star in the league. There's, there's always that pressure to produce. So when things aren't going your way and you're not finding the back of the net, when you regularly do, you start to grip the stick a little tight. You can just tell by his reactions. You know, for me, that's always a sign. If a guy, there was a, there was a chance earlier in the game, um, on Saturday where he, you know, took the shot. Mike Smith came across, made a great save with a pad glove, kind of pinched it off, and he stared for a good 10, 15 seconds. Like, that should have probably gone in the net. That's one I should have buried. But, uh, like I said, good players often just find a way to continue to drive through those roadblocks. And for Austin Matthews, sometimes that's all it takes is one off the the skate and you're going. Yeah, I figured he would score again. Uh, and, yeah, and he yeah, has. Yeah, yeah. yeah, pretty uh, confident that he was eventually going to find the back of the net. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so I mentioned it. It's It's been a one-sided matchup these last four games for sure, uh, even though the Oilers had the lead and probably should have held on in that third period yesterday. W- what's going on here? The Leafs in the Oilers' heads now? Does this make you feel one way about a potential postseason matchup? Was it always this mm. way that one team is more skilled than the other? What's happening? Well, you know, I think that for me, it's the depth. The depth of Toronto, once again, kind of 
shine through in the, in, in the right moment. It was the Tavares line, the second line, that really got things going in the third period with a couple goals to tie it. A little elevation for Galchenyuk. You know, he gets injected on that left-hand side with Tavares and Nylander, and they, they played pretty well. Um, for It's been that story all year long for the Evans Oilers. The one thing is, and I think that it's important to know, they have gotten depth scoring this year. I, I know it's hard not to overlook Obviously, McDavid and Dreisaitl's contributions, along with Nugent Hopkins as the third kind of running mate with that top three, but they've gotten a lot of production from the back end. Darnell Nurse is having a career year. Tyson Berry stepped in there. I do, though, believe, going back to your original question, I do believe it's in their head a little bit, and that just happens sometimes when you're playing a certain team that just has your number, and especially in a situation like Saturday where they had that game in control. It was under eight minutes left in the game. You have a two-goal lead. That's one you should be able to close out. But I, but on the flip side of that, honestly, guys, I look at that, and tonight I'm doing the Evanston Regional game. I'm going to say that's a real positive. This is a team that absolutely dominated you the three previous games. You absolutely had nothing. Now, I will say their starts were really good in those three games that they lost to the Leafs in Edmonton, but... They just never were really able to continue that pressure throughout the game. And the Leafs throughout those last three games before Saturday continued to get better throughout the game. Well, we saw a little bit of that again. Um, I believe Toronto had the better first period. I really do. I think that Edmonton turned the puck over too much. I think they were sloppy with it. And as a result, you gave a team some confidence and flow into a game where they had possession for a long time in the offensive zone. They never really felt they were out of the game is what I'm trying to say. So, for Edmonton, it just, it's just about buckling down. But I do think the games are really close. You know, I look at the way the games have been played, and it's, an, it's an explosion here, an explosion there. For Edmonton, they scored three goals in just over 11 minutes, 11 and a half minutes in the second period. Bang, 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 the top line goes to work. And we've seen that all season long. Now it's about shutting it down, but credit the least. They didn't, they didn't go away. I thought that game was in the bag. I really did. I thought, listen, this is the game they're going to win because – I just didn't necessarily see those super high-quality chances for the Leafs, but then they continued to push in the third period, and that's just a sign of a good team. So I do think it's two very good teams going at it. I do think that the, the, the series has been great to watch, even though some of the games might not have lived up to some of the hype. But listen, we're talking with a ton of elite talent on the ice, and I expect Edmonton to make it a more difficult game tonight. That, that would be the game plan for me if I'm Edmonton. Listen, a guy like William Nylander, who see, I think he scored half of his goals against Edmonton this year. You have to be aware of him. This is a guy now that you have to circle on the board and say, hey, for whatever reason, this guy seems to have really good games against us. We need to make sure we're aware of him. John Tavares is coming on strong, too, so it just makes them that, that much more dangerous. But I look at this more as a positive, though, guys, from Edmonton. This is a team that absolutely dominated you, and you should have probably won that game Saturday night keep that same mentality into the game tonight and see what happens. Yeah. It also shows uh, what we've been hoping to see from the Leafs and not to put too fun a point on it, but that they're tougher, that they are able to oh. overcome that adversity and use that depth in order to get back yeah. into a hockey game where it looks like it was slipping away from them. Especially, you know, Edmonton yeah. gets that third goal at the end of a period, and that can just be so deflating. And the fact that they came out and still played tough and still played well and, and won that game, I, I thought tells you a lot about where the Leafs are at. And it's why... They're going to add, right, Louis? We, I, I guess. I, I shouldn't say they're definitely yeah. going to add because it's getting late in the game here and we keep being told that the Leafs are going to make a big, bold move, but we're waiting and waiting and waiting. It hasn't been the same case with Edmonton. There doesn't appear to be that same kind of urgency, which I wonder if you think that there should be and what they could even possibly do heading into a deadline like this where you still have quarantines, well, there's all these different issues. But, yeah, maybe Edmonton is actually the team that needs to inject a little bit more depth than Toronto if they want to beat them. You know, it's interesting because I think they're in different positions. Although we, we like to compare the two teams, I just think the Leafs have had a little bit more experience than Edmonton in that regard. They've made the playoffs the last four years. Now, I know they haven't gotten out of the first round, but that experience is vital. You know, that, that's building every single year to eventually make a run, to eventually say, okay, first round just isn't good enough for us anymore. We want to go further than that. So I, I look at the Leafs, and I think they're, they're certainly buyers at the, at the deadline. I, I don't consider them sellers whatsoever they're looking to add they're looking to go for a run they should rightfully so for edmonton they're just a little in my opinion they're just a little bit behind in that development but they're getting closer um so i don't consider them sellers necessarily uh, i would say if they could add something that can help them down the stretch into the playoffs that would be 
that would be something they'd look to do for Ken Holland, though, right now. He still has to figure out, in only a second year as the general manager here in Edmonton, there's some housekeeping to do here. There's some things that he needs to certainly fix, he certainly needs to deal with, and then from that point forward, then I think you can start to build towards what you're ultimately always trying to build towards is a consistent team that puts that effort every year that can continually be a contender, can, can get in the playoffs and start to make some noise. And once you get in the final dances, we've seen anything can happen. So the number one priority is to be a consistent playoff team and then take it the next step and see how far you can go in years to come because you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel on your line in your lineup. I mean, you have to build around that. You have to be successful with that. In my opinion, you have to eventually build a team around that to work, but for the least, yes. I, I, and, and this is another thing that you brought up a really good point. And I think, Toronto is dealing with a lot what Edmonton has dealt with over the years. There's such a negativity with, oh, here we go again. It's the same season. But I I think Edmonton has changed a lot in the last couple of years under Dave Tippett. I truly do. I look at this team and being here for as long as I have, I see great differences in this team, the way they're playing. And the structure they're playing with has allowed them to be right in the hunt right there with the top teams in this North Division. For the Leafs, I'll say the same thing. I see huge differences. And I think that a lot of times the reputation precedes what we feel about a certain team, and especially in Toronto. We know what it's like, but I look at that team, and I said it right from the get-go. Their back end is bigger. Their back end is stronger. They have guys that have been in situations, guys like Jake Muzzin, who's been around the block a few times and says, listen, he's settling into his role there. Um, I, I like the fact that they're deeper in the forward positions. They're playing a harder, faster game under Sheldon Keith that I think is really important. And the other thing, too, like, the thing that I've noticed about the Leafs is they're not afraid to give the puck up to go back and get it again. You know, and that, that to me is a sign that they believe in what's being taught to them. They believe in what's being preached to them on the bench. And what I mean by that is if you watched them in that game against Edmonton, they didn't try on possession entry all the time. They were chipping pucks in. They were going hard on the forecheck. They were recovering pucks, turning it over, spending time in the offensive zone. In the first period, they probably should have had four or five goals, to be honest with you, because there was one shift in particular where Edmonton turned the puck over at least five times to give them opportunities again, and it just didn't happen. So credit Mike Smith because he, he held them in there, and that's just part of being a goaltender is you're going to have to weather storms at times. But what I like about the Leafs is that they can beat you in multiple ways, and they're trying to figure it out. They're putting it together. They went through a real lean stretch there for a bit. They kind of battled back out of it, and – that's going to be the season that is this year. That's just going to be every team's going to have to go in those ups and downs. But there's no question that both of these teams we're going to see tonight are better than they were the year before and better than they've been in years past. So uh, I think that's a positive for both. Uh, and I'd take a seven-game series uh, between these two coming It'd be up. Uh, awesome. In a you know what? Yep. And I got to tell you, I wouldn't be surprised if they played each other went seven. That's what I'm saying. I know that we put a lot of emphasis on the regular season, and rightfully so. But once you get into playoffs and it gets a little more nitty-gritty, it gets a little more physical, a little more clutchy, things change. Things change a lot, and it brings out the best and the worst in people, and that's why we love it. That's why it's the best thing in the world is the playoffs. So I would love to see these two teams go at it, though. I would love it. I think that would be fantastic. But there's going to be a lot of teams in the mix that are going to say, yeah, you know what? They could, they could be the competition early on, too. It's going to be outstanding regardless of what it is because we've seen these teams all year long, and I think that we've all been kind of mentally been building towards this saying, this is all just a prelude of what's about to happen come May. It's going to be outstanding, and we're looking forward to it. Louis, great stuff. Talk to you soon. All right, thanks, thanks Louis. Take care. Anytime. Yep. Take See care, man. Louis DeBrusque. Yep. Uh, Oilers didn't get pumped like they did in those three games in Edmonton, so they can hang their hat on that. Congrats. Got a point. Way to There's, go. Good job. <laughs> better than, hey, Michael Hutchison. What did Michael Hutchison give up against them last time? Did he shut Nothing. them out? Yeah. He got a shutout. The only goal right. they gave up was Freddie Anderson starting Freddie, game three. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. yeah so no. they see Michael Hutchison. They see a brick Terrified. wall. They don't know. <laughs> they don't this know. This is a true Ryan Merritt situation where they're looking at him and shaking in their little booties. Yeah, shaking all of a sudden. Their little booties. Yeah, all of a sudden, uh, you're playing the Paul Maurice card of final game of the series. You get to pick up the victory with your inferior goalie and then truly send a message, win seven in a row, take uh, seven of the nine games between these two teams this season. Talk about it tomorrow. Bye-bye.